Saying I'm distant is modest. It took me about a month to find out my nephew stuck in Rikers over some gun charges. And he ain't tripping the slightest. Because good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of the 8020 Podcast. Hope you guys are doing okay. Uh, right now it's me and Darwin. Uh, Daryl and our esteemed guests are running late, so we decided to start the podcast anyway. But uh, he'll, he'll get here. Eventually. Hopefully. Hopefully, God willing. <laughs> He's only like, what, uh, almost two hours late? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like we should uh, start the count over, since he said he was up for him until like 15 minutes ago. Okay, so, all right, so he's 15 minutes late. Yeah. <laughs> Lord. But, um, oh, so uh, I met Nas. Well, I wouldn't say that I met him. Uh, it was more of a, we acknowledged each other's presence. So I was in the vehicle, and uh, I'm looking at him. He walks up, because I see there's, a, there's two uh, Jeeps in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I see that one guy is cleaning the hell out of the Jeep. So I'm like, why is he spending so much detail cleaning it? So I pay no mind after a while. A car pulls up right next to us, and he gets out. And a guy, he has on a mask, and he's wearing, like, full brown. The mask is even brown. And I'm looking at him with the mask, and I'm like, he, he looks like Nas with that mask on. <laughs> so then, you know, we make that awkward eye contact. Like, I'm trying to figure out who he is. He knows that I'm trying to figure out who he is. <laughs> so I turn around, and I look at the guys in the Vic, and I'm like, yo, is that Nas? He was like, you should ask. So I look, and I'm like, are you Nas? And he looks at me. He's like, yep. He just nodded <laughs> yes and put the, the black power fist up. <laughs> and uh, it caught me off guard because I, like, I didn't think that I could be starstruck. Mm-hmm. But I was genuine. Like, I had a fan moment. And it was, it was so overwhelming that I couldn't speak. I've, I've never had that. Like, uh, in, just in general, like, being on SAD, I've never ran into, like, a celebrity. I know one time Lawrence Fishburne was there, but I didn't really care, so I didn't really look for him like people do. Okay. But, uh, I mean, I I feel like I would have been starstruck if I saw Nas. Yo, it it really caught me off guard. And then I didn't believe him after a while. But then he (laughs) took off his mask to eat, and I was like, holy shit, that is him. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I need a CID. I'll spit a verse for me real quick. (laughs) Yo, it caught me so off guard. And, like, I just remember after a while, like, when I sent the text in the group chat, my eyes started tearing up out of excitement. <laughs> it it was, was such a fan moment. Yeah, that was real, a real fangirl moment. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it could happen, but it did. But uh, there's that. You know, he drove up with his security. It's funny. He's such an old-school New York dude because he, uh, he had the full brown suit on, and then he had the one pants leg up. <laughs> Oh, this is the front door. I think that was finally here. Oh, City Morgue. Yo. Ah, uh, you know you late, right? <laughs> For the podcast, I want y'all to know he's not racist. <laughs> Watch him take 20 minutes to come and say so. <laughs> oh, man. You know, so before he comes, all right? So I was asking a bunch of people in the vehicle. I'm like, yo, you know, we're going to have this type of person on the podcast. Do you have any, like, questions or comments y'all want to discuss? Everything people brought up, even though I told them her profession, it was all based on relationships. <laughs> and that's all people care about. Is I feel like everyone can relate to relationships. That's true. 
And on top of that, you know, the whole we're social animals and whatnot. Like, I understand it. It sucks for you because that's not the box you want to be in. Mm-hmm. But, no. Like, the people want what they want. <laughs> I don't mind talking about it. It's just, this isn't, it's not going to be the basis of the podcast. Like, I want the podcast to a platform where you could talk about any and all things, including relationships, just not solely relationships. But I can understand how, you know, a lot of people want that. They want the relationship. They want the white picket fence. Girls are thinking about their biological clock when they should have kids. Guys are thinking about whether they could trust this girl and even just sleeping with multiple women. So I get it. Don't do it. It's open. Oh, shit. Oh, welcome, welcome. I can't with the whole... you are dressed like the Fresh Prince. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta gotta hit it. (laughs) Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Dara has finally arrived. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait, wrong one, wrong one. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Hola, hola. Oh, wow, y'all got Starbucks without me? Uh, A couple, Joe. Yeah, it's not Starbucks. <laughs> We're better than that. Can I get out of the You're getting out of the everyone. I charge extra off with two hands. Thank you, thank you. Well, how are you? Doing all right. I, I like the bag. Thank you. Oh, I, did, I didn't expect that. <laughs> That's really impressive. Thank okay. you. Wow, y'all been recording without us? Oh. I mean, I'm just saying, you're only two up. Oh, sorry, an hour and 51 minutes. Thank so you. We started over the, the countdown for you, so maybe like 20 minutes. Thank you. But welcome, welcome. Whose coffee is that? Starbucks. Whose oh. cup is that? Yeah. Oh, here. Oh, yeah, try some k- Kahlua. I don't know what Kahlua is. And why are we drinking this at 12 in the morning? Because afternoon. Because of coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had that in my fridge for like two years. And God damn! Like, today's the day to crack it open. You be aging stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you gotta you gotta fill it up. <laughs> it's a shot for every ten minutes you were late. <laughs> oh yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out a tax for you. Oh okay, a late tax. Oh okay. Uh, how about? Um, I say we should do, just find a middle area to do this podcast. Like we should do it. Like we discussed that too. The fact that we both live here. Yeah, so it's a lot harder for you. We we understand that. Here, let me just help you with this because you know the sun is. We there we go. Screw it. All right, perfect. There we go. This this week has not been the best of weeks at all. What happened? Just I don't even know where to start. In the middle. Uh. I got a got a shot in my ass, so that's a. That could go like she looked so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, you can't just say that and just leave it blank. You yeah. gotta explain that. We need context for that. <laughs> what do you mean context for that? Let's start this podcast. Come on. I started like fifteen minutes ago. Oh wait, your so mic they is hurt. on. They heard. <laughs> <laughs> that is <so> funny. <laughs> Yo, if y'all hearing this, I was just joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I mean, oh, anywho, all right, cool. So, so. Good thing you didn't give out the 
launch codes or anything. <laughs> so yeah, tell us about your week. You might as well continue that story because I feel like the people need context now. <laughs> it was it was just like some. No, 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 no. I think what it was is they just did like precaution. Um, so I went to, I went to like the urgent care. I was like, yo, something's going on. Um, like I had like a dryness in my throat and like just a whole bunch of like body stuff going on. So they were like, Hey, yeah, let's, um, let's draw your blood. Let's do all the precautions, like STD, STI tests and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure I didn't like, they didn't know what they were doing either. Cause they're like, you know, just in case that you do have something, we're just going to like give you medication and stuff like this just to cover all our bases. <laughs> I should have already known that when they said cover all their bases, I sh- they did not know what they were doing. So that, that makes me think of uh, the last podcast we recorded. That the one never that never it. came out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And one thing led to another and I'm getting a needle in my ass. Oh. So sounds like a bad date. <laughs> a really bad date. <laughs> I thought you were joking this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 one part of my week. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you left that out. Yeah, I I just wow. I I just wanted it to be like a in the past thing. Uh, too late. And now it's now the whole world. Not now, be. everyone that listens to this and everything the in the future. <laughs> well, you can easily just edit this out, right? Uh, the people need to know. The people don't need. Oh my god! You know what? I mean, if it makes you feel better, I had a shot at my ass too. Well, Wait, on my ass. This is a thing. I thought this was just in the movies, like in the cartoons, yeah. or for rabies. Yeah, when I was joining and we had to get all our shots, I t- I, they called the peanut butter shot. I never got that. They gave N- you peanut I, butter? I never got that either. Really? No. We had to line up, and we all had our pants down, and they stuck all of us. People were joking about it, but yeah. that, it never happened. I never, what? never. It never really happened, and I was sore as shit. Never got that. <laughs> okay. Well, they, they did something weird to you. I guess I'm being tracked. <laughs> so. uh, I, I guess we're part of the control. Yeah, we're part of the control group. <laughs> the control group. <laughs> so? Uh, yeah. Really? I didn't get that? This whole week. <laughs> you look so concerned. <laughs> yes. Like, this is for real? Well, th- this happened, yeah, like, this nine is. years ago for me, though. The fact that you can say nine years ago? Oh, yeah. We were just talking about that. Yes. Like, how... Like, how, we've been alive for that long. We're old. <laughs> and, like, doing adult shit. <laughs> Not long years of battle. (laughs) (laughs) And we're still going? (laughs) Yo. At this point, we ain't got no choice. Right. At this point, right. That's to see you through, my boy. You start adulting, and then it gets to a point where, oh, shit, now I can't stop because people rely on me. Right. You got a whole cat that relies on you. Nah, I think. uh, Should be all right. Yeah. I think I'm her pet, honestly. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, or I'm her, I'm her slave. I believe it. 
<laughs> so before I ask you, how's your week been? Yeah. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? First of all, I want to apologize. I don't know if Daryl told you. Oh. But I completely I screwed up the last podcast that we did. Oh. I lost the audio. <gasps> I, thought, I thought you recovered it. Oh, no. Oop. Wait. I wait. thought I had it on the camera, too, but I, it didn't. Oh. Oh, shit. Oh, you got to start, like, making a, an original and then, like, a backup. Yeah. So oh. now I make sure that I triple check everything. Okay. And that there's no issues. But uh, no. I, I apologize for that. That was such a good fucking podcast episode. That was. We had some like, really good conversation that day. I feel like it's always the good ones. That it, it is yeah. always the good ones. I can't. And it's not like you could recreate that conversation. No. It's, it was, it's it out was there. like, it was so pure. It's okay. I'm not perfect, but I try. Yeah. But uh, introduce yourself. Let the world know who you are and what do you do. Okay. Hi, world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, my name is Nicole. I am a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I currently do psychotherapy. I see children, adolescents, adults, and families. And, yeah. Is there anything else? How long have you been doing it for? So... I've been licensed since last year, um, March 2020, but I've been doing therapy since I graduated from grad school in 2018. So I started doing functional family therapy, and then I moved into private practice. That's where you kind of see, like, a whole bunch of different individuals. They come with a slew of different concerns and some even come in with no concerns just here to talk about life and stuff and um then i transitioned to another private practice okay so typically is that how it works where you start working first and then you get licensed yes so um interestingly enough mental health counseling it's not that new but it's newer than social work so the social work track you um you know you go through the schooling you go through the internship and then once you get your degree you can take the licensing exam and you become a licensed social worker um for mental health counselors you have to get three thousand hours of clinical work before you could get your license and then you have to take an exam you can take the exam whenever but um typically um, depending on how you want to do it, you um, work a bit first, and then you take the exam, and then when you get your 3,000 hours, you apply for it. So that's w- kind of how I did it. I wonder how they decided on that 3,000 number. Yeah, I... Because mm, it, it makes you think of the 10,000-hour rule. Yeah. Oh, what is that? Oh, to become like an, a master or an expert at anything, you have to do 10,000 oh, hours really? of it. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think that's 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. How, how yeah. do you, oh, how do you like, uh, sum that up in years? Like 10,000 hours. Hey, Siri, what's 10,000 hours in years? 10,000 hours is 1.14 years. Okay. So, so 3,000 is about a third of that, give or take. A couple, a couple months. Yeah, yeah, I would say months. I'm trying to remember how I calculated it. Um, Because it's working hours. It's not like um, 24 hours around the clock. It's like like when you see a family or when you see a client, that counts as a clinical hour. Um, Paperwork counts as a clinical hour um, to a certain extent. 
Okay. So. Yeah. So I know for me, like if I work 35 hours a week and then I calculated it that way, it took me maybe like a year and some change to get my hours. I, I figured it was something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it'll probably take you like three years to become a master. But years. that's an interesting concept. Um, you never heard of that? No, no, because it, um, it sounds like Jeez. that whole rule where they say it takes twenty-one days to form a habit or something. Mm-hmm. I think that one was proven to not be true. Yes, I it's agree with that. Ever. I agree yeah. that it's like it sixty-six days or something. Maybe yeah. something yeah. like that. Um, but also, I think it just varies per person. Definitely. Um, because depending on what the person's going through, depending on the person's discipline, and I think <coughs> it kind of gives you a space of motivation, like, oh, okay, it's 66 days, I have something to, to look forward to, but also it's like, it gives you some time to, I guess, figure out whatever um, habit you're trying to form. Because I think it takes, it, it just varies per person. Yeah, I remember we were talking about it in the group chat about like stopping bad habits. We felt like there was no number. It was like, yes. uh, it's like an everyday thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then oh. just like, you know, with everything, sometimes you go through a relapse. Yeah. And those situations are needed just so you have an idea of um, how to. Handle those triggers. Yeah, and stuff like, like how that. to kind of come back to the preferred habit, I guess. That's and to understand, like, I like how you brought up triggers, like, what kind of puts you in a space for those bad habits to come up again. Ooh, you, uh, you guys are diving into a realm of uh, <laughs> <coughs> questions that I have for you. Oh. <laughs> so I actually asked uh, a bunch of people in on social media questions that they would, or topics they would like to discuss mm-hmm. and hear from you. Okay. Um, but before we start that, how was your week? Uh, <laughs> you never answered that. Yes. Um, honestly, this week was really interesting. Um, it was interesting because I was actually terminating with some clients. So you were terminating with clients? Yes. Oh, that sounds back. I've I've heard that is an interesting thing. Yes. <laughs> what exactly is terminating with so clients? So pretty much there's a process like um it's around the time where either a client is ready to graduate or a clinician is actually transitioning to like a new position. So I was actually transitioning to a new position. So I, um, you know, was giving my clients like a month notice, like, hey, so things are going to be a little different. Um, You may be seeing a different clinician at this office um, only because with the office I work with now, they don't allow clients to follow you, which is um, pretty different because if a client wants to follow you, they can follow you. Like I've had um, about 10 follow me from my old job. So it sucks that the people who followed me kind of have to stay at this office, but they don't have to because they have free will. It's just I can't tell them, like, hey, follow me. They mm. have to kind of find it on their own. On yeah. their own. <coughs> yeah. So I, I was just, you know, letting them know that. What, what is that? Because, like, completely different uh, area. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like Paul. Like, he's moving, but he was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be here. Come see me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, why why can't you? So I think it varies per practice. My director in this practice um put it in her contract like no uh, soliciting, no poaching. Um cuz she doesn't want to lose poaching. the the business. But I don't know. Cause it's like that's selfish to me. It, yeah, mm, I agree, and it's not fair to the clients because exactly. clients have free will. And imagine building this rapport with exactly. someone. Yeah, it's, and I ima- sorry. No, I, go ahead. I imagine that is because, like, for me personally, uh, with physical therapy, mm-hmm. like he, my physical therapist knows me already. Exactly knows mm-hmm. your kinks and st- oh. yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, okay. knows the um, places. No, you said it right. You said it right. So, I, I imagine for you, that is a much more intimate very, relationship. Very. So, it, um, you know, in school, they touch on it the importance of termination because it can sever somebody's well being, but mm-hmm. also it's necessary because, um, you know, life happens, things happen, and with certain approaches in therapy, it's um, it's kind of timed. So when I did functional family therapy, we typically were seeing families for three to six months. So there was a planned termination time because we aren't there to kind of like be in the client's life forever. We're kind of here like we're going to teach you these skills and then you move on. Um, with doing <coughs> private practice, it's a little different because it is more long-term, and typically you kind of um, work with the client to see, like, did you achieve all those goals that you wanted to do? And if you did, maybe there's more goals that you want to work on now. So there's not really, like, a time limit, and typically you kind of let the client decide, like, hey, I think I'm ready to kind of move on. Um, But also being careful with that because um, there are situations where – there's like an attachment that is formed, which can be detrimental as well. Have you ever been in a situation where uh, a client had an attachment? Mm. I think, think, yeah. I feel like uh, you can't help but have an attachment. The level might be different. A vulnerability that you have to give yourself to. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you remember me, my original therapist... When he when he ended our sessions because he moved like he came here like once a week and he stopped doing that mm-hmm. like I felt sad when that ended yes so yeah like it, I mean it's natural like um, going through any type of change you experience these feelings um, but to answer your question mm, I would say in a way yes there was an attachment but it's because this um, you spilled your whole life. And you felt as if I was, like, an important part of your support system, which, you know, we have to, like, kind of work through that. Of course, we set boundaries and everything. But um, in the beginning, like, when I first transitioned to my other position, they didn't take it well. Mm -hmm. But they were able to follow me. And now going through it again a year later, they took it very differently. Okay. And that made me understand that we definitely did the work. And you were able to see like the progress. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even in the progress in me sharing that, hey, I'm actually gonna 
we're doing this a year later. Like, um, <laughs> transitioning to another position. And, yeah, like, it, it worked very differently. And, yeah, like, you can you can see when there's an attachment and you process that attachment because it is letting you know how other attachments kind of show up in their life. And it's letting them know how these attachments show up in their life so they can kind of, like, understand, okay, this is going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I got a question, right? Because it sounds like you're in a field that you're interested in. You, you love doing it. Yes. Um, is that something that you've always wanted to do? So if we really take it way back, <laughs> to like elementary school, Trying I used to, to say. <laughs> Let me stop. <laughs> Let me stop. I used to say like, "Oh, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be." Like, why is he laughing at me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I wasn't laughing at I you. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a rapper. I don't know. Like, I, the rapper one, no, that was random. But I mean, um, that's what's in now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, everybody could do it. So I believe Mm -hmm. so. But I think back then, I, oh no, the one I used to really stick to was I wanted to be a scientist because my dad was all into science. I loved science. Um, and then I went to college with the intentions of being a bio major. And then organic chemistry kicked my ass. And um, I took psychology. And then I took abnormal psychology, <coughs> which I hope they changed the name. Because um, that is so disrespectful, right? Kind of biased. Yeah. Towards yes. Like, I, I feel like your mind automatically goes like abnormal. Exactly. <laughs> and let me tell you how that represents the stigma that we face in this world. To think that if you're presenting with something, you're abnormal. abnormal. The audacity. <laughs> but um, I took that class and I fell in love. I fell in love with the field. And... I remember having these questions about certain things that, like, I witnessed in my community. Um, I witnessed in my family. Like, the way that family handles things, I was able to put two and two together once I went to grad school um, because we were learning about so much. And, well, not to fast forward, but, like, I you know, majored in psychology with a minor in neuroscience because I love science. Of course. Um, And then I took a year off and I worked in a mental health clinic. And that moment I was solidified because I remember being like, I know I can help. I know I can make a difference. Like I've always (coughs) known like, you know, like I was very empathetic. And even though I was doing quality assurance, I was working in the back checking charts. But I was just like, I know I can help. Like, so I started um, helping with, like, um, making intake appointments. And imagine somebody vulnerable coming in and they're, like, the first person they meet is being disrespectful, the front desk. Mm. And I'm able to make a difference and say, like, what's up? Like, who are you? How do you want to be identified? Like, how can I help? How can I make this appointment? These are the times that we can do. And then I applied to grad school. 
and it's been on ever since. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I will say a lot of people, I feel like a lot of businesses don't take into account who's at the front desk. Because that's the first person that they interact with. Yes, and thank you. That's part of why I'm transitioning. Yeah, I keep saying transitioning, but yeah, that's why I'm like changing positions. Um, because... The front desk is the first people you meet. Like some, it's not every time you're meeting your um, clinician the first time. Um, in my last position, it worked out that way because we had a page where um, if you needed support, you would reach out to me specifically, and I will schedule with you. I would do um, everything. Excuse me with you, but in this new office, which was helpful, you had the front desk who would schedule. They see your schedule, they book you and everything, but it um, did sever some of the experiences. It got to the point where if clients wanted to reschedule or had anything to do, they had to speak to me specifically because the front desk was just getting a little... How do you feel like, what would be an appropriate way to solve that problem, you think, the front desk problem? I personally believe just some form of training. Just some form of training. Um, and I'm not telling you have to go to school and get a psych degree or be a mental health counselor, but just having an understanding, just having, um, just meeting with the clinicians or just the whole entire staff just meet together and let's develop a plan on how to address certain situations because there's in this particular environment, there was a clear divide. There's the clinicians and then the front desk. There was no, there wasn't a lot of um, communication. There was a lot of miscommunication. So communication and training, that's it. It, it can make a huge difference. Seems like the army needs that too. <laughs> <laughs> Someone to work at the front desk. <laughs> so I have a question, right? Mm-hmm. You're very passionate about this, and it seems like you're very passionate about helping people in general. Yes. My question for you is, what was it like when you had your first client? Mm. It was a little nerve-wracking because I consider myself kind of shy, but it's something that I realize um, I sometimes use as an excuse. So it really helped me to break out of my shell. I felt nervous because I'm like, what do I say? You know, what type of questions do I ask? Like, this person's going to really trust me. But it's helpful the training, most importantly, is helpful because it's not just about, like, what brings you in today, which is a great, you know, great you know startup Over. question. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so much more. And it's not just about, like, why are you here? It's about, like, what what's going on? How are you feeling? What are some of the um, concerns that you might have? Or... Like, what makes you happy? Like, it's so much more. And it depends on the environment. So my first, first, first client ever was um, in a substance use facility. So that intake process is very different. 
we're kind of getting deep to the nitty gritty, like, okay, what, what, what were you using? And, you know, like, what groups do you want to go to? Like, it's very different versus private practice. It's just like, okay, so what's your presenting concern? Let's go over some symptoms. Um, let's talk about this. Let's build a rapport. Now let's talk about your life. Let's start from day one when you came out the womb. <laughs> now, you know, like, it's, it's very different. Um, but I will also say in grad school, um, one of the classes that we do is, um, I forget the name of it, but that's where you practice some of those um, skills that you learn, like active listening, um, counter-transference or transference, um, paraphrasing, like different things that you will do um, in, like, in talk therapy, and you practice with another student. So that was helpful. And then mm -hmm. you record it. You have to do a transcription. And sometimes you present it to the class. And the class kind of chimes in to say, like, oh, she used paraphrasing. Or um, just the different um, skills that you would use. So that was very helpful. So technically, my first client or unofficial client was, like, a classmate. And then an in internship, my first client was that experience and then private practice it was just you know each environment's just different i have a question mm -hmm. so do you have to close like if you're an intern or um yes so in the beginning like if you're an intern and stuff you let them know um like hey i'm interning so that sometimes affects like when you're available and how much you can do, but for the most part, it's pretty much free labor for the um, program, but fair trade because we get the experience. So we end up doing mostly anything that a clinician would do, just our paperwork. We wouldn't sign off on it on our own. Like somebody has to approve it because they're pretty much putting their license on the line to make sure that we're not you know, making any mistakes because anything could happen. So, oh, I was, oh, okay. I was going to ask, um, so how do the, like your patients, your clients uh, feel about, about it when you say like, hey, you know, I'm interning, like, mm -hmm. nice to meet you. I'm such and such and I'm interning here. So mm -hmm. uh, how do they like respond to that? Um. So I would say being an intern or being a clinician officially, at the end of the day, you're a clinician. Um, I feel like the response is somewhat the same. So sometimes it doesn't really matter. They're just like, oh, okay, you know, fine. And then some are just like, I need somebody with more experience. <laughs> but even as a licensed clinician, you still get that body with more experience oh. like and that's something that um I've recognized even after getting my license I would have people ask me how long have you been doing this because they're trying to get how old I am because mm. if they see me they're just like she look kind of young mm. right yeah and, so and that is kind of like a a concern that has also um I've experienced uh, but 
just because somebody looks young doesn't mean they don't have the experience. But also, you have to give it to the client. They have a preference. That's like, true. Like some, I'm sorry? Do you think that, like, do you think experience, like, obviously it matters. Mm-hmm. But does it matter that much? Mm. Like, if put yourself in, like, the patient's shoes. Like, would you be willing to take someone with low experience? Mm-hmm. So... It matters also because it's like your preference and depending on the concerns that you're coming in with. And that's one thing that the um, <coughs> when you're interning, they kind of screen and train you within that too because they wouldn't give you a client who is like a super intense client. Okay. But also, they can give you any type of client. So in my internship, I was seeing clients who came from, like, inpatient, clients who came from, like, federal prison, clients who had, like, you know, they were mandated by ACS and things like that. So I had different types of clients. But also, there's a there's a um, restriction as well. So technically, as, a, as an intern, you're not supposed to run a group for the federal prison clients even though they'll still put you in a position like that because you have to have a certain licensure to to run a group like that um so they kind of they kind of work around that um so for example my first client in internship um was a more stable client um versus a client who kind of was actively using like they wouldn't give me a client like that Okay. Mm-hmm. What about um, life experience? Let's say, uh, like they see they see you, they see how young you are, and they're they're older, so they feel like you don't have enough life experience to mm-hmm. give them the help they need. Mm-hmm. Heavy. Um, I've experienced that. I've had somebody, um, for multiple reasons, not want to work with me because I like they felt like black people were judgmental and was another black person. Um, and wow. they felt like I didn't have enough experience. Like they needed somebody with like 20 years of experience. <laughs> but it was really because, um, you know, that could be kind of tra- counter-transference for me. Like maybe I felt like she didn't trust me because I was too young. Um, but that is just, you know, their preference and potentially their mindset that, can be something that's addressed when they're ready. You know, you can't force somebody to do something they don't want to do. They have to be ready for it. Um, But that does come up sometimes. But also, I do get clients who are a lot older than me and we're able to process a lot of stuff. It all depends on, like, your perspective. Okay. I respect that. I feel like uh, age, it doesn't play a major role. In situations right. like that, because right. you hear all the time that parents learn from their children. Exactly. You know, you're a 40-something-year-old male or female, and you're learning from an 8-year-old. Exactly. Because oh. imagine how much the world is changing, mm-hmm. and you receive this information differently than someone whose um, connections in their brain has already been formed. You know, like, I don't know, our, our brain... Finishes developing around, like, age, what, 25, 26? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so imagine all those connections you already made and then coming and pretty much being in a space where you're 
rewiring all of that. Mm-hmm. It happens. Like, you can learn so much from one another. That's true. And also because we all come from, like, different generations, so technology is changing, constantly changing. And that also means that the field is constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it's an interesting concept. So some people are open to it and some aren't, but it it's okay. Like, honestly, you're not meant to be everybody's cup of tea. And that goes in therapy, outside of therapy. That's in life in general. You're not meant to please everybody. Church. <laughs> I, I find it interesting, though. I've never heard particularly in, like, the black community, like, I don't want someone that's black. Yeah, that's I was crazy. shocked, too, and I am I think that was my kind of transference as well. I had to process that for me because I'm like, wait, this sounds like crabs in a barrel. <laughs> but also, um, that's that person's preference. Like, that is probably their experience, and mm-hmm. that already is a stigma. Like, imagine, we already deal with the stigma of mental health in the black community. Mm-hmm. So coming to someone, it works for them. Like, wow, I got a black therapist, which... Like, if you look at it five years ago, you probably was not able to say that. But also, it's like, some people could be like, dang, I don't know if I want a black therapist. Because if you really look at the field, if we really take it back to Freud, the field was very white, cisgendered male. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, it was only white male therapists. Having a female therapist is fairly new even though it's like everybody in my class was a female minus like two three guys but also as a black therapist that is so new that is so new you know i can kind of understand uh both sides of like uh, a black person not wanting a black therapist Mm -hmm. because they feel like they'll be judged Mm -hmm. Um, like you getting read yeah, like, especially, like, with, you know, the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. a lot of people felt like black people would condemn other black people for doing something wrong because we look at ourselves so highly. Mm-hmm. So you do something, and the first group of people who want to condemn you seem to be black pe- people. So they tend to be like, you know what? My people are too judgmental of me, so I'm going to go somewhere else. So I could kind of see both sides. So I was, I was watching, uh, what was that, The Breakfast Club? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the videos, I think they had uh, the guy in your leisure, that of them. Oh, yeah, like yeah, that. I think you sent me that video. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, put it in the group chat. Oh, oh, okay. yeah. Uh, so, in your leisure, they do like finance or whatever, but something they were talking about was they feel like as black people that they're held to a much higher standard when it comes to like financial advice or anything of that nature. Do you feel like it's the same for you? That black people are held to a much higher standard. I believe so. Like, we're either held to a much higher standard or we're kind of feeling as if we have to work harder yeah. because of oppression. Weren't we talking about this we in the car? We were just yeah. talking about this. <laughs> we were just talking about this. Like, oppression is real. Um, I know I learned this from when I was younger about buying a car, right? The white male will get the best price then it's the white female, then it's the black male, 
and then the black female will get like the worst price ever. And why is that? Because we're still dealing with this systematic oppression, even though segregation stopped, even though actually it didn't really stop. Yeah. It, 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 they want us to feel like it stopped, like it was on pause. Racism mm, was on pause, like the civil rights movement happened and everything, but it still happens. It still happens. So now we're in this environment where we have to feel like we have to work harder. We have to prove ourselves constantly. And that's why I feel like it feels as if we are kind of put on, we have to put ourselves on this pedestal. Like we have to um, prove ourselves constantly. I feel like that's a common feeling amongst uh, marginalized groups. Mm. Uh, are you familiar with Hassan Minaj? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course you are. No. What is yeah. it? Who? Hassan Minaj. He was, uh, he was on The Daily Show. He was a correspondent. Then Netflix gave him his own show, Patriot Act. It got canceled. Oh, oh, oh yes. Hassan Minaj. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he had a, a special a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and he said that, like, in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, like, you know, of course, yes, everyone mm-hmm. had to, like, deal with that as Americans. Mm-hmm. But he felt like after that, it's like, people of, like, Middle Eastern descent, they had to constantly put on, like, these press conferences of how much they love the country. And yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's weird to me that people outside of those groups can't seem to understand that. So I have a coworker. I'm not going to give too many details because people are going to know who it is. Okay. But, uh, like, they w- he was talking yesterday, and he, it was two white coworkers. And one of them are part, one of them is part of a marginalized group, so they could understand like, like the whole black struggle and mm-hmm. stuff of stuff of that nature. But he, like, I understand his logic, but he could just not process it. And in his mind, he felt like all this stuff ended so long ago. Like, mm-hmm. like how is it still an issue today? And then he started talking about his. Uh, his background and the struggles that his people went through. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, if I don't let that affect me, like why do, why do, why do uh, you know, marginalized groups in general, yeah. let it affect them. So it, to me, it just made me think of that. And it's like, mm-hmm. I didn't really know what to say. I felt like work wasn't the place to have that conversation. Right. No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I think as a society, we can do better to like educate people on like why yes. it's such a big issue for us. Yes. But that's only if they if they want to be educated because education starts first and foremost in the home. Yes. Like if like any education you get outside of the home is experience. But inside the home is where like your parents or your guardian or whoever it is that's raising you teaches you mm-hmm. these things. And if they don't teach you the importance or the difference or the struggles of the marginalized group or of like the oppression the group that's oppressed Mm -hmm. you know if they don't teach you this then you can't really understand it so like how nowadays like well not even nowadays like like how um non-pocs i want to say (laughs) non-pocs um (laughs) 
yeah, how non POCs only have to give one talk to their children, whereas POCs have to give two talks to their mm. children. Mm -hmm. I like that because <coughs> because um, but I, I don't think it's a POC thing. I think it's just marginalized groups in general. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's just marginalized groups in general because honestly, I had a uh, well, not me per se, but there was there is someone I know who um, I'm not going to say their name or anything, but their their child went through something like they they went through that and their child is young and they thought they had enough time. Why? It, why? Listen. That, every podcast. If you don't hear ambulance in five minutes, everything is okay. Oh my I don't God. know what that is. <laughs> oh, my God. I, and it's I, always when you're speaking. Always when I'm speaking. <laughs> it, it's just so funny. It was that noise when we were talking about what we were talking about. Because I low-key thought it was a bomb. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, God. But, but yeah, so... Um, so she thought she had enough time to explain it. She thought like she, if she moved to a different neighborhood, like things, she wouldn't, you know, things would be different, mm. but it, but it wasn't because her child still experienced it at a young age and they were confused as to why. Mm -hmm. So, so the fact, I, th I think it's just a matter of like, what they tell, what the non-POCs tell their children mm -hmm. or how they raise their children is to how it affects, like, things going on because he doesn't, he probably doesn't understand that this stuff is still happening because it's not happening mm -hmm. to him. Right. You know, so, oh, okay, go ahead. Um, that's why I'm hopeful for our generation and the generation after us mm -hmm. is because they're more open to learning about marginalized groups and the struggles that they've endured and that are still enduring. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the generation previously before us, they don't, they're stuck in their ways, you know? Yes. So they tried their best, but they're accustomed to a certain way where us millennials, yes. we got lucky where we're in between them and mm -hmm. the next generation. Yes. And the next generation, they care about everyone of they every really group. They really do. That, so. And I, I appreciate seeing that difference because... Like you said, Daryl, there's so there's so many other factors that contribute to what's going on. It's not only what we learn in the home, because honestly, that entitlement is taught as well. Mm -hmm. But also it's like, let's talk about what happens in schools. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, we will not forget that the Holocaust happened. That's one of the first things that we learned in school. But they started talking about removing slavery from the textbooks because it's too traumatic or it happened already, get over it. Like the audacity. To erase history. Exact to erase mm -hmm. history. I mean, I don't I feel like that's our fault, if anything. But like what do you mean? Because I I, I agree, but to a certain extent, because I'm I'm a I'm gonna tell you why. Okay. Like I know my personal experience, my mom made sure to teach me about my history, whether it's the Caribbean history, whether it's slavery, 
whether it's um, what was happening in America, she made sure to take me to all those museums and to make sure that I understood it. Um, even with the Emmett Till, she waited till I was like a certain age because she felt like when I was younger, I might not be able to handle it. But um, she made sure I got that education. But also, our families teach us those things indirectly. How many times you went to a store and your parents was like, don't touch anything? Low key is a trauma response. Mm-hmm. Because let's look back in the 1950s or whatever. Somebody go touch something they're not supposed to touch, they get shot or something. I'm being dramatic, but also that shit happens. No, but it's true. It, it makes you think of, uh, who was it, Ice Cube? Was Ice Cube who made that song? I think there was a a black person, a black girl. She went in like a store or to whatever. get orange juice, yeah, and, and got they, shot by a Chinese woman. Yeah, and oh, make, I'm sorry, Asian woman. I don't know. I think she was Vietnamese. Vietnamese, sorry, sorry. I mm-hmm. believe so. But uh, yeah, you never heard of that? It what sounds song familiar. is that? I he, don't he made know a song about song it, about and people it. were like, "Oh, you know, he's racist and all that." Yeah, but it's like you know. But but what about the person who shot the girl? Yeah, I feel like. Uh, that was a real event, though, right? That was a real mm-hmm. yeah. event. I remember. Okay. I remember. Um, I don't remember when it happened. I just remember. I, I'm picturing the picture on the on the yeah. um, newspaper clip or something, and um, it's something that is a repeat offense because it happened at a beauty supply store. I don't know how long ago, but it it happened less than. Maybe in the 80s or so? Yeah, in the 80s. And the beauty supply store situation, I want to say it was less than 20 years ago. I don't know exactly when. But things like this happen and still happen. You know, uh, it kind of sucks, too, uh, <laughs> because I feel like everybody goes through trauma. Yes. Especially yes. black folks. And I find yes. myself, because, you know, in this area, there's like a handful of black folks. Yes. And uh, I find myself doing things to let people know in public that I'm not a threat. Exactly. And I didn't realize how much of a, a defense mechanism that is for me. It's, a, it's, it's at a point it's where a when I talk response. to certain people, I change the infliction of my voice. Yes. You know, you know, you have to, um, co- um, what do they call it? Code switching? Or something? Code, yeah, yeah, code, code switching. Code switching. Imagine, yes. Yeah. It, it's, like, it's like an automatic response. And it's not only that, it's like a response that's also learned from our family, too. Because I know my parents have an accent, but when they go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good day. Good evening. Who are you? It's like, who are you? I found the story. Uh, Mm -hmm. The girl's name was uh, Latasha Harlan. Yes. And, you know, Orange Juice, $1.79. She had the $2 in her hand. She was going to pay for it. Uh, The end result was the girl was shot in the back of the head after, like, a brief altercation with the store owner. And the police found that there was no attempt at shoplifting. And the woman who shot her, instead of getting the 16 years in prison, she only got probation. Yes. That's some bullshit. I'm wow. sorry. I hope you could beep that out. No, this, this is a oh, okay. R-rated uh, I'm podcast. Like, <laughs> like, Tokyo <but> shit yes. <laughs> queen. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> but, no, like, can you imagine? Yeah. But, but, but. Somebody get caught with Adama weed, they in prison for life. They still in prison right now, even though weed is legalized. Especially in Virginia, Lord. Mm. Yeah, I, I hate that. Uh, that 
I don't know what to call it. So mm-hmm. I, for the sake of a name, I call it like progress politics. Yeah. Just to like make it look like we're doing something. Yes. So like uh, yesterday they signed some law where it's supposed to be like prison reform or something like that. And if I remember correctly, it's for people who went back to jail for violating the probation for non-criminal acts or something like that. Uh, yeah. And like 105 people went free. It was like. Yeah. A hundred and five? Yeah. Yeah, it's that's, like, what did you really do? That's it. Exactly. And it's not only that, like, that is a whole nother chapter. Um, because let's not forget, some of the individuals who are in prison, that's all they knew. Can you imagine? You've been in prison for so long. You finally are freed, and you don't know what to do because life has changed. Mm-hmm. Shawshank. Yeah, yeah, like that, that and, and you can't find any good work because now you because have a record. Because you have a record. And then let's not forget, too, the um, situation that could have led to them to make the decisions that got them in that situation. There's a cause and effect. Imagine if, like, that's all you knew in your family or you had no other means or, I mean your judgment was off and then that that situation happened but let's look at the environment too let's look at the environment too because there's so many factors like the um the concept nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. you know for example like with substance use um you can come from a family who use substances it can run in the family but also the effect like if you see somebody using it may become like your go-to coping or it could be like, I don't even want to deal with that because I saw how it affected you. There's so many factors that play a role. It's not just um, the biology. It's not just the psychology. There's so much more. It's, it, it's mind-blowing. And that is truly also what really um, got me interested in the field. Like my interest in the field started with substance use. Like why? do people cope with alcohol Mm. or substances? Like, what made them turn to that? And imagine not having nobody to talk to but the bottle. Uh, So I got a question. Um, In your field, what is some common trauma that you uh, deal with? Common trauma? Yeah. Hmm. So... I like what you said earlier about, like, we all deal with trauma Mm -hmm. because, honestly, we kind of do. And I would, I always use mental health, for an example, being on a spectrum. And that's why we deal with a a stigma, right? There's certain situations (laughs) that um, may be extreme on the spectrum, like if you're dealing with psychosis or schizophrenia or things like that. But imagine we kind of all deal with anxiety to a certain extent. It's just how we cope. We kind of all deal with depression to a certain extent. That's just how we cope. So bringing it back to trauma, we kind of all dealt with something that was traumatic, like slavery, the Holocaust, 9-11. We've all dealt with that to a certain extent, and it also goes back to how do we deal with it. So mm, the common traumas, I would say... There's a lot of childhood trauma. 
you know, different situations that happen during trauma, I mean, <laughs> during childhood. Um, there are situations that have happened um, later in individuals' lives. Um, I don't know if you want specific examples. No, you don't have to give uh, okay. specific examples. Yeah, but it's like, um, I would say it's a lot of childhood trauma. Um, I don't know if to... Well, it depends on the person, how they identify it. Like, some people can see COVID as traumatic. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Because, like, how many individuals um, did you lose? Imagine working in the hospitals when it was happening. I think um, just mm-hmm. the, like, changes to society. Yes. The mm-hmm. isolation that you had to. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, it's hard to kind of say that not everybody's outlived trauma. It's just how you identify it and how it affected you because um you know the way that you lose a loved one could be traumatic okay so all right so my next question is uh is there any ways that you would say to help combat trauma um like just a general way because you know you always have you have people who walk around every day like they have everything all together but everyone is dealing with their own trauma Mm-hmm. So for those people who don't want to go see a therapist or they're trying to figure it out on their own, do you have any ways that can help them combat their trauma? Hmm. Interesting. Trauma is interesting. But I would say one go-to thing, but it might not be for everybody, is journaling. Just writing your thoughts down because one thing that we don't always take into consideration is from what we go through, we learn a response. So if we come across that trigger, (laughs) we may respond in the way that we learn to, not realizing that it's a different situation that kind of keeps us in a cycle. So I think a lot of if not most of our behavior is like learned behavior. Yes. Yes. And interestingly enough, that learned behavior sometimes keeps us making the same decisions over and over again. So if you ever asked yourself, how come this keeps happening to me? It's not that it keeps happening to you. We grew accustomed to it. And stepping out of that pattern makes us nervous because we don't know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen if we keep doing what we're doing because we formed a habit. We formed a pattern. But when we step out of that, we get a little nervous because we don't know what's going to happen. And part of that unknown becomes scary, even though on the other side of that unknown, there could be... (laughs) healing there could be happiness there could be so much more so would it be safe to say that asking the question of why this keeps happening to me is the first step to changing it so i know we use why often but i think why but it's in a space where it's solely solution focused I think we have to ask what, who, where, you know, those, those, those questions. So like, 
what I was thinking when you asked that was like awareness is the first step. Yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But you hit the nail on the head with that one. Awareness is high key, a major key. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just why. It's like what's going on. You got to ask yourself what's going on. For me, like personally, I would say up to the time I was like maybe like 26. Mm Mm-hmm. I had no awareness. I was just like <laughs> going through life. Yeah. Autopilot. Were, yeah. Things were just happening. And it's like, oh, okay, whatever. But then like, you know, things happen and I started like reflecting more mm-hmm. on like day-to-day life decisions I made, things that happened to me. And I would say my awareness is a lot, like I have a lot more awareness yeah. from where I was like four or five years ago. That's growth. You know, what's funny is because of your growth and your, uh, where you're heading, you actually put me on that path. So now, I practice being more aware of stuff and I'm actually on a path now where I'm trying to figure out my trauma from childhood and Mm -hmm. how to combat that. And um, it's interesting too, is that one thing I learned about myself is that I'm very hard on myself. Yes. So like I have to be successful and I have to do this. And that's why I try to do so much things at once. And I realized that it stemmed from childhood when Mm -hmm. they would always compare me to my sister. Ooh. And uh, yes, that comparison as much as like it's a good thing long term in a sense of yeah. I'll probably hit the pinnacles that I plan on reaching. Mm-hmm. It's just very emotionally and mentally taxing. It is. It's so. a it's low key um, a trauma response in a way. And like you were saying earlier, Darwin, that um, the the pedestal that we kind of put ourselves on mm-hmm. or that society Sorry, or our community but puts ourselves but put us on. I don't know not proper English, but um, it's like we have to prove ourselves mm-hmm. because of who we are or because of the um, situations that we come from. And that comparison, even though our parents would be like, you know, we did it because we wanted a better life for you, it's kind of like a trauma response for them. They don't want to talk about what they went through until they kind of force you to push past it. But it can make a difference with just communication. So my question to you now is, what does recovery look like, Mm. in your opinion, from trauma? Mm. I would say it looks different for everybody. But one thing that I would also say it's kind of like a grieving process because you're going to go through this experience where you may experience some like sadness because the person who you were before is not the same person who you are now. Okay. So it's like sometimes you may compare yourself to your old self and say, well, well how come I'm not hanging out with this person anymore? Or how come... I'm not doing this anymore. And it's probably because what you were doing before no longer serves the version of yourself who you are now. So the person who you are today is like your higher self to your inner child, to your younger self, to who you were 10 years ago. So now you're able to kind of look back at that person and say, this is who I am now. And I appreciate you for showing up for me, but I I got it from here. Oh, okay. 
I gotta get my thought together. <laughs> that like sometimes I feel like uh like I'll have those moments where I realize, okay, you know, I'm thinking a certain way that maybe I shouldn't think that way. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I find it like I, I know better, but it's mm-hmm. so hard to like get yes. out of that. Yes. Imagine um Imagine having, like, the five-year-old version of you who is just, like, you have these beliefs and you're just, like, these are my beliefs and that's it. And you looking at yourself and saying, I understand why those beliefs served you in that moment. And now they no longer serve you. And that's kind of, like, where some of our insecurities stem from. You know, we have these core beliefs that we learned from the beginning, from day one. And all of our decisions were based off of those beliefs. Like, for example, like if you were ever bullied, you now are making decisions based off of that experience from being bullied. And now you're in a space where you get to say like, wow, that experience... It was an experience, like, let's not invalidate that experience, but also let's see what now serves us because we're no longer that person who was bullied. We are now kind of like the protector. And because of those experiences from our, you know, from our early years, we sometimes respond in certain ways. And that sometimes is like our inner child saying like, no, don't mess with her. Like, I, I'm protecting you. When in reality, it's like, I got it from here. So that's why like when you're having that battle of like, you know, I'm having this thought. And I don't want to say I shouldn't have this thought. It's like, I understand where the thought's coming from. It just is not serving me right now. Okay, I think that's where I go wrong. Because I feel, I feel like the approach I take is like, you know. That that thought just needs to go somewhere else. Yes, but do you know how dismissive it could be? Imagine saying you're sad, but you can't be sad. How many times have our parents said, just pull up your pants and keep going? That's also a trauma response, low-key. Like, I don't want to use the word trauma all the time, but, like, low-key, it's a trauma response because we are put in a space where we just have to keep going And that's why when you pull up all these different projects or you're doing all these things to kind of like prove yourself because you have to keep busy and you have to, because you were always compared, it's like a trauma response. It's like you don't get a chance to breathe. That autopilot feeling, that is a moment where it's like you're not really present because we're not getting the chance to be aware that our feelings are valid. So being in a space where we can say, like, um, yeah, I realize I'm having this thought. Let's identify the thought that's coming up. Let's be aware of the feeling that it's bringing up. Because feeling leads us to healing. Because we're learning how to deal with what's happening instead of just saying, let's push it somewhere. Because it kind of causes that, like, avalanche or that snowball effect Mm -hmm. where... If we don't deal with it, it's going to come up again. And it's going to be a lot bigger and a lot stronger. Uh, 
Do you feel like autopilot is necessarily a bad thing? So say, let me give us context. Uh Say you're doing, you're where you want to be. You're doing everything you want to do. And you're just like on autopilot. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that's a bad thing in 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 and of itself? So I would say this. When we get to that point where we're doing what we feel like we need to do, it's kind of like we found our groove. So we kind of know what to do. We found our pattern. I think the difference is just being present, being aware. Sometimes autopilot is literally just like somebody else took the wheel or the wheel is driving on its own. So you don't realize when you may crash. But having that awareness, being present, like saying like, all right, I could put my car in, um, I don't know, neutral or something, but I still know where I'm going. I still have my compass on. I still have like my navigation on. It's different because you're present. When we're not present, that's when it becomes a concern. Okay, oh, so okay. the reason that I had asked because so I used the site you uh, sent, mm-hmm. Uh I found someone I had a consultation maybe like two days ago, mm-hmm. and it was really good. And from what he told me from just from the consultation, he was like, "I do things to like keep myself safe." So mm-hmm. like I tend to like y- y'all don't know me. I like routine. Like mm-hmm. I can do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. And then I I feel like I've just kind of like hit an autopilot. Mm-hmm. And I've been stuck in that autopilot for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So that's why I asked what I asked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I hear you. And what do you feel like puts you in a space where you have to keep yourself safe? I think that's a question that you can ask yourself. And maybe it can differentiate between, like, that autopilot versus that, like, okay, I have a routine and I'm present in my routine. Because sometimes... Like, just me hearing you say, like, I keep myself safe could be, like, am I avoiding something? Which is sometimes something that we all do. Mm-hmm. We are avoiding stepping out of that comfort zone because it's comfortable there because we don't know what's going to happen outside. Now, do you do you think that that routine is necessarily a bad thing? No. I mean, so the thing is, I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. But then after talking to him, I was like, Maybe it is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily, like, in a general way, mm-hmm. but maybe it's not serving me the way that it should be serving me. Should mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, because I wouldn't say routine is bad. It's just how you respond when things pop up. Like, do you get frazzled? Or are you Definitely. like, okay, I can handle <laughs> Yes. That's where it, it goes back to looking at, you know, mental health on the spectrum. And realizing we all kind of deal with anxiety. It's just how we deal with the anxiety. Yeah, I wouldn't say I get frazzled. I, I get very annoyed, though. Yeah, <laughs> irritable. <laughs> right. Um, which could just be a different form of, you know, feeling anxious. Um, I would say it shows up differently in every different person. Like, um, anger could be a trauma response or it could be how we respond when we're anxious or it could be how we respond when we're sad because imagine like especially black men they're kind of the stigma 
is that you're not allowed to cry. So imagine needing to cry and you can't. So it will show up differently for you. You get what I'm saying? So that's why um, sometimes, too, like when you look at some of the, like the DSM, um, that's what we kind of use to diagnose. Or um, if we look at old text, we're not all paper copies of how mental health shows up. Like it shows up so differently. So my next question is for people who don't know where to go, mm -hmm. um, where can they go to get therapy? And also, what are some affordable options for people who can't afford to pay out of pocket for a therapist? Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and alternatives. And alternatives to therapy? Uh, I'll, I'll let you get into it first, and then I'll explain what I mean by that. Oh, um, so resources that I know... Um, psychologytoday.com. It's like a directory of um, psychologists, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, um, counselors in general that are just present and, you know, advertising themselves for you can kind of just reach out, get a consultation, see how it goes in the side if you want to move forward. One thing that's helpful if you have health insurance, you can filter the search to um, only pop up the individuals who have your insurance. So it can help save the cost. Some therapists don't take health insurance, so that, those are the therapists that you know you would have to pay out of pocket for, and they have a sliding scale for the most part. So um, you can ask, if they have a sliding scale, you can ask them, and I, they do the sliding scale based off of like your income for the most part or what you can afford. Okay. Um, Another resource is Therapist for Black Girls or therapyforblackgirls.com or Therapy for Black Men. Um, there's another one called Melanin and Mental Health. And these are individuals who identify as people of color, like providers who are people of color or who can provide for people of color. Um Another resource is BetterHelp or Talkspace. These two sources, um, you do have to pay out of pocket. They don't take health insurance, but they advertise themselves as um, a more accessible um, okay. approach to therapy. So you can, you know, schedule a video or phone or even live chat session with your therapist. You could also message them whenever you need support. So it's like, um, but also you as a therapist, you get to choose what type of boundaries you set. Like you could either say like, hey, we can keep conversation short because I have um, a full time job. Or if you need support. You know, you can't stop somebody from reaching out for support, but you can have a conversation there or just suggest like, hey, we should schedule a session because this is a lot. Um, but those um, you pay. It's like a subscription. Um, other resources, I would say um, this is like an emergency resource. Um, NYC Well, it's free. NYC Well. Yes. NYC Well. Um, it's a text talk chat hotline. So if you're going through like a crisis or if you need somebody to talk to and you don't have um, a support or um, a therapist, you can reach out to them. Um, not every provider on there it 
could be a licensed therapist, but some are. Some are, but they are definitely trained to kind of like support you and talk to you. But it's um, mostly for like if you're going through a crisis and they're also connected um, to like an emergency hotline. So if you are having like suicide ideation or anything like that, you can connect to them. They can let you know if they need to call mobile crisis or if you need um, resources to get to a hospital, that's like, you know, worst case scenario. Um, yes. Oh, and I also would say, I believe BetterHelp and Talkspace do offer like a 30-day free trial just in case. I think so. Because um, I know they were definitely doing it during COVID. Uh, um, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I was... I'll wait till you're done. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's any other resources, but I can't think of any more. So, where I was going with what I was saying before, mm-hmm. I use the site you said, Therapy for Black Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like when we think of mental health, we commonly, the first thing is therapists or therapy or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting on that site was that they have coaches. Yes, life coaches. Yeah, and I, like you hear about it like in movies and stuff, but I mm-hmm. never really thought about it. Yeah. And I was reading, I'm like, you know, maybe this is more of what I'm looking for than therapy. Yes. So, may I? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. So, life coaching is awesome. I believe it's just just like a different approach to helping individuals. Their training is just going to be a little different. They may not be a licensed therapist, um, but it's helpful because they don't have to give you um, a diagnosis because sometimes with insurances, you have to kind of give a diagnosis to prove, like, this is why the insurance should pay you, you know. But they could be, like, an out-of-pocket cost, but what they help with is literally if you have, um, like, a goal and you just have an issue processing how to get to that goal, they'll break it down with you. They'll brainstorm with you. They'll plan with you. So that's another way of, um, you know, asking for help. And asking for help is a form of self-care. So, like, when I saw it, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to just try it. Mm-hmm. I got the consultation, and I feel like immediately from the consultation that I know that this is more of what I was looking for. Yes. Because I felt like uh, I've had two therapists now, mm-hmm. and to be honest, I feel like it was, like, the services they were providing, I could get that from you, like, or, or you, or mm-hmm. any of you. So it's like, oh, you know, we're just hanging out talking or whatever it's mm-hmm. not really doing anything yeah. for me it's not serving you mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and so when i tried that like it was it was it was very interesting i would say that is and not in a bad way but in a session like that where it's supposed to be like for your mental health or, or your improvement or your growth mm-hmm. or whatever it is mm-hmm. i felt uncomfortable immediately because <laughs> 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 like you know he may realize things about myself that you know maybe i hadn't thought about or looked at my life my life in a way that you know I couldn't look at it in a sense like I feel like people tend to make excuses for themselves mm-hmm. and he kind of like was like you know that's what you're doing right and so called you out yeah. yeah so I feel like that's a great option yes it is and um I would say like it's not as I don't want to say therapy is limiting but life coaches they can literally help you from anywhere like, you don't have to be licensed in that state to be a life coach. So if he happened to live in California and you live in New York, he could still help you. 
Yeah, there was, yeah. There was a lot of that I saw on the site. The one I found is in Jersey, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're doing it, like, virtually. Yes. Uh, and then something to add on to that, I feel like something I've learned, like, obviously, money is always going to be a factor. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you can afford it, you should always invest as much as you can into your, whether it's your physical health, your yes. mental health, whatever the case may be. Me, personally, I know this is about to cost me a lot of money. Yes, it, it, it it's costly. Especially the way that he wants to structure the sessions. But I feel like I, I mean, you know, maybe we'll see in 90 days. Mm-hmm. We could do like another podcast about it and see how it is. Yes, definitely. Let's do it. Definitely. Mark Let's that. do it. 90 days from today. <laughs> yes. Well, not, not from today. I got to set the, we, we haven't set the first one yet. Okay. But uh, he plans it to be a 90-day program. Mm-hmm. But, uh. I don't know, like, it's kind of the same thing, like, yeah. with Paul, where, like, I pay out of pocket, and I see him once a week, mm-hmm. and it's expensive, but I feel like I'm getting my money's yes. worth. Yes, and honestly, it's an incentive to get the work done. Yeah. Because you mm-hmm. pay all that money, <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you're not going to sit there and waste it. You're yeah. going gonna, gonna to get it done. And I think that right there brings up a valid point, because I know you was asking for, like, affordable options in case individuals can afford it. Um, that's another concern with this field. Um, the access to it, we didn't always have access to it, you know, especially if you're looking at your socioeconomic status. It wasn't always an affordable option. And thankfully, I think our mayor was doing something about, you know, making mental health more accessible and that, you know, having insurance or accepting insurance is one of the ways to make it accessible it's just sometimes with that access it leads to kind of um like this um the availability like you may have to wait a little while to get an appointment if there's not enough environments where you can you know get that support okay Mm -hmm. so I took some questions from uh, some Instagrammers, right? Okay. And, uh, <laughs> of course, um, a lot of people, they like to talk about relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the questions that they want to ask is, how do you feel childhood trauma affects relationships? Mm. It affects relationships a lot if you don't address it. Because you will sometimes make decisions based off of situations that you went through when you were younger. And it can probably show up in the relationship. And this is where, like, the work for you has to happen. So it's not like we are kind of, like, going in with these judgments because of what we experienced when we were younger. And sometimes when we um, don't work on the stuff that we went through, we tend to seek safety in environments that look safe but may not be safe. Okay. So on top of that, I don't, I don't feel like it's always just about, you know, you're the professional, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like it's always just about 
lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's okay. But I, I think I hear it's not, you. Yeah, it's not just it's about not safety. always about safety. It's yeah. not only just that. It's literally about um I'll say it goes back to like our survival mode. I got my train of thought. Mm-hmm. It's not just about whether it's safe for you or not. It's about where if where you are, if it's serving you. Yes. Mm. Yes, exactly. If it's serving you. Because I think that, too, also stems from, like, the survival mode that we kind of go into as well. If we're so, if we get away with certain things, we're not going to stop doing it. Mm. And then we, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So then we end up in situations where we either get hurt or other people get hurt. Because that's what we know. But if we work on, or if we even know to work on what happened when we were younger, just what happened in our life in general, we would have an understanding of where our decision making comes from. Oh yeah, that's the air freshener. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a cat or something. Having <laughs> a hug. I respect that. That kind of reminds me of um, possibility of somebody as a child. Uh, they didn't feel accepted, so yes. in a relationship as an adult, they seek validation in a significant other. Yes, but which also can potentially lead to like codependency. So, uh, do you think that the effects of the parent also affects the child's future relationship? Like when they're when the child is older and in a relationship, mm-hmm. the effect of their parents can contribute to that as well. So, I would say that kind of goes into like attachment theory, where okay. there's like. Um, I think in child psychology, they did these experiments to see, like, how does the child or the baby react when the parent is present and when the parent leaves the room? uh, When I was in therapy, he kind of mentioned this to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's very interesting. It is so interesting. (laughs) So it does, in a sense, have an effect. So um, I don't remember the names of each... Attachment, but it was like four different ones. Yeah, there's like anxious avoidant. Um, let me let me check real quick. Hold on. So this is you said it was how uh, a child acts when each parent leaves the room. When a parent leaves, yeah, the room. yeah. yeah. So what it was is that it'll be in this scenario. Say Nicole, Daryl, and I'm their kid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not their kid. Uh, well, you would be like a stranger, and say I was Nicole's kid, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. They. We'd all go in the room together, and then, you know, they let me play with you, the stranger, for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then, like, maybe, like, five, ten minutes later, they, they would let Nicole leave, mm-hmm. and then they looked at the reaction of the child, and each child had, like, depending on their relationship with their mother or parent, mm-hmm. they had a different reaction. Yeah. So I think it was, like, four main yeah. ones. Yeah, there's secure, anxious, preoccupied, dismissive avoidant, and fearful avoidant. Oh, that's interesting. It's, it's kind of like what it sounds yeah. like. If you're secure, then it's kind of like, okay, I know you're going to be back, so I'm fine. Exactly. And then, mm-hmm. like, down. Exactly. Yeah. And imagine that happening in, like, relationships. Because that's still one of those things. We still use that in our relationships. Exactly. Because like, that's what we learned, right? That's mm-hmm. the core belief. We believe that our mom left and we don't know if we'll see them again. So in a relationship, we're like, 
I don't know if you'll leave. So now I'm, you know, it depends on how you show up. Mm-hmm. That's just an example. But like it kind of goes back to that. So uh, well, that's kind of all topic. So forget it. Now, what is it? Now, I was going to get like more into like the theory, but <laughs> that's another. <laughs> that's actually uh, mm-hmm. really interesting. I like yeah. that. There is a book called Attached. Let me see who the author is. Um, but it's like a book that you can read if you had questions about like prior to if you were going into dating or just like um, wanting to understand your attachment. But it's by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And it's called Attached? Yeah, Attached. Oh, so I am going to get more into it because I feel like people may want to know. Uh, I feel like a lot of people would assume that the relationship that the child form is like reflective of a hundred percent reflective of the parents' actions. Mm. So I feel like uh, there could be a lot of other things going on. Whereas, yes, like, so there's you know, you get other that. factors. That's I think it goes back to that theory: nature versus nurture, because you receive a certain amount of nurture in the home but in nature there's other factors that happen like your environment plays a huge role as well in your attachment or like decisions that you make so let's say your environment wasn't secure it kind of causes this like you know insecure attachment or unstable feeling so on t- on top of that what i was more thinking of is say New scenario, uh, me and Daryl are your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you treat us exactly the same, but personality-wise, I just have a less secure personality, whereas Daryl feels more secure. Mm-hmm. How could that have an impact on like how we turn out, if that makes sense? Like yeah. how, how personality plays a role as well. It's not just what happens to you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like what you said, nature versus nurture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Was that a question? I'm sorry. Yeah, if you want to get into it. It's not really a question, but if mm-hmm. you want to explain it more. Um, like how it's not just... Uh, so what I think is that it they feed into each other. Nurture, nurture feeds into mm-hmm. nature, and nature feeds into nurture. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg kind of question. Yeah. Um, we don't know what came first, so it kind of like both play a role. Oh, that is a chicken or the egg. Chicken mm-hmm. and the egg. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, would you say that? Uh, what well, What would you define a toxic person? Uh, um. Look in the mirror. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't know if I would. S- you know, define an individual as a toxic person, but I would say there's toxic traits, if that makes sense. Because it also goes back to kind of that, like, survival mode. Sometimes you may not know you have this toxic trait, but you learned to use this trait from survival. Like, it could be like a... um, a defense mechanism in a way. So to follow up on that, 
Uh, so do you believe that we all have toxic traits? Like everyone has a toxic trait. I would say so. I would say um, it's kind of like what you were saying. You have to look in the mirror. Because my toxic trait could be that I trust everybody. But does that sound toxic? <laughs> so for me, I feel like what makes a person toxic is that uh, I feel like it's the awareness. If you yeah. know you have a problem and you're just like whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they'll be all right. Right. <laughs> right. But guess what? <laughs> awareness um, in some individuals could be that uncomfortable step out of that pattern that we already established. So if we become aware that this thing is toxic, we're going to get anxious because it's like, oh, we've been doing this our whole life or it's been working or maybe it hasn't been working, but it's just what I know. So, yeah, awareness plays a huge role in that. It's the most important step. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Way lying. Oh, that that actually remind me when you were uh, telling telling us about the book. Um, to check out. There was one I was also reading uh, recently. I'm sure I told y'all about it uh, called Unlearned by mm-hmm. Humble the Poet. And he he talks about just basically unlearning all your bad behaviors, like all your all the routines and stuff. When we were um, when we were talking about routines, it came to my head, like just just taking everything you have and just figuring out being aware of like every aspect of your character your traits and just unlearning all the bad like basically just filtering it out so we can actually like start taking in more good stuff so uh, i'm sure i told i uh no i don't don't remember that okay yeah it's it's actually a pretty it's a pretty good book i was so I, this is the first day that I've heard like something like that, but I really like I really like it because also complements what you said. Where mm-hmm. I've never heard people somebody say that you should be present in your routine because mm. usually people say that when you're doing something that's routine, you're not present mm-hmm. or habit because a habit is something that you do without thinking. Exactly. So you that do it without thinking. Yeah. So that's really amazing. Um, I like that. Um, my question to both of you especially since you read the book and, you know, you're a professional. Um, do you guys think that there are some bad habits or traits that you should keep? It depends. I necessarily, because we need, we need a balance because that bad is what gives us the ability to prevent more bad in a sense. Like, it's like yin and yang kind of. Yeah, like we need we need a balance. We just gotta be aware of that balance. Mm-hmm. So that um, oh. no, go ahead. That question, like I don't know, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I would, <laughs> like that's what I was about to say. Um, I don't know if it's about like it being a bad habit, but I think we can look at it as like unhealthy versus healthy. Okay. Yeah, because what I was yeah. gonna ask is like, then by that logic, like, what makes something inherently bad? bad exactly, right? because yeah. what is bad to you may not be bad to the next person. 
Okay. Or what may bad what may be bad to you may not be bad to society. Okay. I'm trying to think of an example. Um I guess like let's say uh we're hanging out and you come to me and you're like, "Hey, you know, Khan, a bad habit that you have of doing is when you're not interested in something, you immediately dismiss it." And that may be bad because it affects our relationship because you feel some type of way about it. But on the other hand, it may be good because in other aspects of my life, me being so dismissive uh, saves me from other things that isn't necessarily important or drains my energy. So, yeah, I feel like that's where you're... Mm-hmm. You do the healthy versus unhealthy. Yeah. Because you're preserving your energy for things that are, you know, in alignment for you. And you set a boundary for the things are that are not in alignment for you. Which is why you have to find that balance because mm-hmm. that doesn't like like y'all were saying, it's not necessarily a bad thing that you do right. it, but it's in terms of how it affects. You have to be aware of how it affects like the people around you, the people mm-hmm. you care about. Right. And uh, that's where we're oh, sorry, but that's where awareness comes up again. Mm-hmm. Because if like you said, if Daryl comes to you and says that I don't like when you do that. I don't like when you're so dismissive or it hurts my feelings. That kind of goes back to maybe communication, communicating like, hey, this is something that doesn't serve me. So this is why I can no longer, you know, pursue it. That's way that way he understands. It's not just like you're just like, no, <laughs> you know, you're not just like I'm leaving the room now and I'm not going to. Ex- well, not saying that you have to explain yourself, but it's like just. In a way, knowing that saying no is also part of self-care, too. Church. Setting a boundary is part of self-care. That's that's a whole... Talk your shit, King. (laughs) Talk your shit. shit. Like, just in conversations I've had lately, a lot of people struggle with uh, setting boundaries. Um, I didn't want to interrupt you. Oh well, the question uh, is for you. <gasps> so I got you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. What was the question? So a lot of people struggle with real setting boundaries, just like yes. realizing what they need and how to go about doing that. Mm-hmm. So what would be advice for that? With setting boundaries, um, I would say it comes with. Um, kind of goes back to awareness and understanding what it is that you need. And one great way that I, an example that I kind of like, you know, preach to some of my clients, and not to say I'm a preacher or anything, but I encourage anyone to look at your love language. You know, there's five love languages, um, words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, quality time, and gifts. receiving gifts, mm-hmm. yeah. So I know when we hear it, we only focus it on looking at how we want to be loved in relationships. But sometimes we have to look at it as how are we neglecting ourselves through that love language. So when we identify our love language or just like identify our needs within our love language, it allows us to see what we have to kind of communicate when things are in alignment versus not being in alignment with what we need in that moment. 
and that's kind of like an idea of understanding maybe what needs you have to you know set the boundaries for that another way also is honestly just identifying your feelings like we call it i statements you know that's how you communicate how you oh. feeling i feel this when this happens so not only are you taking accountability for your feelings because in reality other people can't control your feelings they can just understand that this is um this is the response to something that happens and then they can kind of act accordingly and or if they don't act accordingly you understand the boundary that you have to set so being able to say i feel this is a way of setting a boundary of like when this happens this is the response so not only am I being aware of my feelings, I'm letting you understand the awareness as well. So what what would you say is the next step? Say a person like they, you know, they realize things aren't in alignment for them. They realize they feel a certain way about certain things, but they're still not able to take that next step and like start setting those boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like what would you tell that person? If they're unable to take the next step. Yeah, like they, they know the problem, they're yes. aware, and they're just not able to do something about it. So an example, mm -hmm. say they're with someone who's not giving them what they want, but they can't, like the person's not willing to change, but they're not able to move on. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell them in that? In that moment, I would <coughs> encourage identifying those hurdles, like, what is keeping you in that environment? Is there comfort? Is there, like, you know, no option as an exit strategy? Are you fearful that you may not find another environment like it? So asking some of those questions. And kind of taking it back to core beliefs. Like, what makes you feel like you are unable to set a boundary or exit? God damn. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I respect that. Um, so <laughs> I'm looking at a bunch of other questions mm -hmm. th that they've asked. Um, they're not on the topic of what we spoke about for the entirety of this podcast. Oh. <laughs> but um, I can ask them if you would like to hear them. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll try to answer my best ability. Uh, of course, it's always about, you know, relationships okay. and stuff, um, you know, which we don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one is, I guess this could be a, a question for the whole group. Well, all of these is um, how do you feel about polyamorous relationships? Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I I guess that that kind of answers it. <laughs> She's like, I mean, to, in my opinion, I feel like, you know, it's all preference. I feel I like I agree with that, and yeah. also like, just to preface, um, there are other specialties in counseling, including marriage and family therapy. Like, there's licensed <laughs> marriage and family therapists, and I'm not that. <laughs> so <laughs> just to let y'all know like um that's that's not my specialty um and that's not something that I like study or I don't do couples therapy but I I agree with you it's all about preference 
So me even answering, I could give you my opinion, but it um in like in like a counseling environment that wouldn't be like I guess like something I would put yeah. in the um therapy room. And also, I, I mean, it just goes back to, like, beliefs. I would just ask, like, what about it is in alignment with you? Or what about it serves your, your need and, or purpose? But, again, it's about preference. You know, uh, to the person asking this question, <laughs> I would say if you're interested in trying it, let your partner know that you're interested in trying it, mm-hmm. you know, and see where it goes from there. Uh, but I, I think that that should be a conversation to have before you get into a relationship. But, you know, but people, what if you people change. Yeah, like yeah, what yeah. if you okay. find when you're in the so, relationship and you're like, uh. <laughs> I think that's the context of this question is that they're currently in a relationship and, they and now they're, you know, it's crossed their mind like, huh, I okay, might want to yeah. try this. Okay, so, uh, so, Okay, you're right. Y'all are right. There, there can be different factors to contribute as to why, why they would want to try this not different approach now, right? So it could be either they were in a long term relationship, and um, and now they want to like spice it up, or like they were just feeling like that in general. Uh, but honestly, I'm. It it just the way I see it is that it could just it could just vary like they just I I well I think they should just honestly if they have that conversation it cannot work out well it depending on how their significant other responds to it because if you're like. You know, you sit them down and you're like, hey, babe, um, how do you feel about being in a polyamorous relationship? (laughs) Something like that. I mean, you're you're basically like tossing a coin up in the air at that point. So funny thing, I actually know someone that happened to. They are not together anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which which is why I'm saying like that should be a conversation. The chances of you get in a polyamorous relationship would be more likely if you have the conversation before the relationship. But let's I, say I somebody is didn't realize that they wanted that b- until they got into the relationship, right? So it's mm-hmm. like experience. True. And then, and then on top of that, I don't think it's so much that the chances are they'll agree to it. I think what happens is if you're making it known, you're kind of like screening people. So you're kind of attracting what you're looking for in a sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of like in an interesting way, setting a boundary. Yeah. Right. It's like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Are you down or are you not? Mm-hmm. But but that's in the beginning before any form of attachment is formed. Because so, if you... But you're, the thing is, you're not convincing anyone. It's just like, like if you told Nicole, like, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. If she wasn't already thinking it, I doubt she's going to go for it. But what it is is that you just, it's, it's, there's a fallacy. I don't know what it is. I don't know the name, but we could look, at, look it up after. But it's a fallacy where you're thinking because you're saying it, you're, that's why you're getting the result you're looking for. 
but it's kind of like roundabout in a sense. Whereas like you're not really getting the result is that you're intending to is just you're looking for something specific, if that makes sense. Like I feel like mm. I even confuse myself on that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the, mo the moral of the story is you're not convincing anyone. Is you're just screening people and you're going for what what you want, pretty much setting a boundary. Well, as you said. okay, yeah, but that's but that screening of people happens before you get into a relationship, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's why I was saying, like, you know, the chances of you actually saying, like, hey, yeah, um, the chances of you getting into a polyamorous relationship while you're already in a relationship is a lot okay. slimmer than when you're just starting off. So the wording of how you... I get what you're saying now, but the yeah. wording, it sounded like, oh, you're going to convince them. If you oh, no. Oh, oh, oh. Like, <laughs> no, that's, take this polyamorous. That's, that's why I said it's a, coin, it's a coin toss, because, like... I mean, depending on your, your, your status in life, you could convince anybody. Oh, <laughs> oh. If I was a billionaire but, and I was like, hey, want to do this polyamorous relationship? It's like, ah... Uh, I don't want to, but I'll say yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're probably going to do it without me anyway, so might as well. What, what are the benefits? <laughs> so I'll ask uh, two more questions mm -hmm. so that we can wrap up this podcast. We're almost at the two-hour mark. Oh. So uh, <laughs> this one is, uh, how do you guys feel about the saying that a woman who chases a highly successful career is usually the women who end up single, especially black women. Interesting. I feel as if it kind of navigates in that realm of like stigma because there's like a stigma of like um, a person who chases their career um, and is like really motivated, focused on that is... Um, intimidating okay. but I also would say somebody who's focusing on their career is maybe just that like their priority is their career their priority may not be the relationship if that makes sense yeah that makes it's, sense it's kind of like it's kind of like what he we thought he was saying earlier <laughs> <laughs> whereas it's not really what it appears to be on the surface yes Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, it's literally. I just wasn't worried about worried about relationships. That was the door. Yeah, I think it's. Oh, come in. Who's that? Oh, yeah, y'all can continue. Special guest. Uh, you should get him one too. <laughs> get me one with Crocs. I don't want them. Oh. I don't know what the next question was. Oh. I, I didn't. Yeah, you I the didn't. host, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> just run off. I'll yeah. just ask you the next question and y'all can talk. Or, or yeah, I'm trying to, try to do this resi thing. I don't know if it All right, you know what? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just save uh, the rest of these questions for the next uh, episode. Okay. Um. Do you guys have any final sayings? Oh, for the people that... uh. I hated this in the background. Uh, somebody came to fix the pipes. Funny story I'll say before we close out uh -huh. is uh, last night 
or the night before that, there was a clog in the sink. So I bought Drano, put Drano in there, flushed it with hot water. And I'm like, okay, it worked. The next morning, I go to get a dish so I can make breakfast. And there's Drano and water on all my pots and pans. And, you know, Drano is highly toxic. So I just threw them all out. So I got to buy new pots and pans. So he's actually here to fix it. Oh, wow. What happened? How did it explode? It didn't explode. It just it's just a big leak, and I didn't know. Oh. So I, I I'm assuming that the Drano did it, honestly. Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah. So, do you guys have any uh, closing words? I was today years old when I found out Drano was toxic. Yeah, it has a lot of. All right, no problem. It has a lot of uh, chemicals in it that are very dangerous. Wow. I mean, that makes sense. It's like unclogging um, something. So. Yeah, I forgot what the name of the one chemical that's in it, but it like it can decompose the body. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like that's what the mob used Acid. to kind of. <laughs> that's what the mob used to throw in the body to you know get rid of it. Wow. Oh, so like Coca Cola. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, I have another book that also came to my mind that I read. I love reading like. Like these, I don't like calling them self help books, uh, but they low key are. They, a they low key whole are genre, like, and I I love the genre. I I yeah. love them too, but um, so it's called Understanding People: The Five The Five Steps of uh, Human Behavior. Um, and I was I was on my phone because I was looking for it. Oh yeah, here it is: Understanding Other People: The Five Secrets. To Human Behavior by Beverly D. Flaxington. Flaxington. And it it was actually really, what made me remember it is when you were discussing about the I and how we always use I in everything. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was like one of the first, um, first things in the chapters she came over, she went over with. So... It's it's a really great book because it makes you it makes you realize a lot of things that you do that we all do as people that we never really notice we were doing. So if anyone if anyone wants to pick it up and read it, it helps you be a better person and it also helps you understand people more. So. Yes. Okay, cool. I like that. Thank you. Oh, uh, I realized too because I'm reading a book that uh, Dawn had put in a group chat called uh, "The Compound Effect." Mm. I made an entire podcast about the compound effect before reading that book, <laughs> and I didn't realize that that concept is already out there. So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make a whole other podcast, and I'm gonna make sure I give a full disclosure that <laughs> the idea wasn't originally mine, although I thought of it before I read the book. <laughs> But that's also I mean, a very good book. I mean, are there any new ideas, really? Like, I feel like to find a new idea is a rare thing. I think that's true. I think what's amazing is that we come up with the ideas, or like we figure out the ideas ourselves that other people have already discussed. Yeah, perfect example. Because uh, that, that's kind of like what I said. Mm-hmm. So. Remember how I talked about my theory of uh, 
Zero or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. So that's a real theory, actually. It's called, uh, shit, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but essentially, the theory says that all positive and all negative actions cancel each other out. So, like, I think it's called a zero-sum game. So, like, chess would be a zero-sum oh, game. Oh, yes, yes. I. And I, for me personally, like, now that I know the theory, I feel like life is a zero-sum game. And at the end of the day, none of it really matters. But, you know, that's a whole other topic. But the point is that, like, people think of themselves, but, you know, odds are someone thought of it already. It's probably out there in the world somewhere. Yeah, you just haven't found it yet. Do you have any closing statements? My closing statement would be check in with what it means to keep your cup full or to make sure your cup is full before focusing on filling somebody else's. Amen. Church. Preach. Do you have any closing statements? Uh, for the poly dude? It's a dude, right? It has to be a dude. It's actually a female. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Tell her to just stay single. <laughs> <laughs> do, do I know them? Yeah. Work? No. Block? No. Don't ask too much questions now. They they specifically said they wanted to remain anonymous. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, I figured like they wouldn't want to be known. Yeah. But I'm just curious like where I know them from. Uh, on earth. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so for uh, my closing statement, just um, seek therapy. You know, um, I always believe that everybody in the world needs three things, and that's a mentor, a therapist, and a life coach. Um, unfortunately, not everybody in the world can afford all three, but if you can afford at least one, go for it. It'll change your life. Um, but with that, we're in the podcast here. Happy 8020. Happy Hakuna Matata. Fuck being average, and I'll speak to you all soon. Shorty so bad she want numbers. Hop in the summer. If you can't fuck, I can't love you. If you're talk, I can trust you. Keep it a hundred. I used to stress out my mama. Living up her was my comfort. Now she retired in Tennessee. I got the back, but I'm stiff on the 90s. I might just pull up in a Hummer. Oof.